0: The news on flavored e-cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use. But parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this. One, nicotine is a toxic poison that can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can increase mood swings. Three, it can limit attention and learning. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Let's talk credit card debt for a minute. If you feel you're carrying too much of it, you're not alone. The average household in the U.S. carries over $8,000 in credit card debt. Ready for some good news? With a cash out refinance from Quicken Loans, you can quickly and easily put some of the equity in your home to good use by paying off a lot of that high interest credit card debt. A great way to take cash out is with our 30-year fixed rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 4.375 percent. APR 4.65 percent. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN to learn how taking cash out with a 30-year fixed mortgage might be the right solution for you. And for a record nine years in a row, JD Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Call us today at 800 Quicken or go to rocketmortgage.com.
1: For JD Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 2.13% fee to receive this discounted rate. All for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.
0: Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. (laughs) I want to get into it, man, you know. like you know i'm the
1: man don't you can i count it off one two three four you're listening to the church politics podcast with michael ware and justin (laughs) Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a christian worldview transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square
0: in the ways of this
2: is the Church Politics podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, brought to you by the Ann Campaign. Justin, we had a great week in Nashville last week for the Q conference, and so we got to hang out a little bit in person, which is always good. So I know you're you're doing pretty well with all the stuff on your plate. Uh, how how are you doing? How was your weekend?
1: Everything was good. Like you said, I really enjoyed the Q conference. I think Gabe Lyons does an excellent job for that. If you guys don't know the Q conference, it's like a TED talk for Christians. And so you get a lot of innovative, thoughtful You know, biblical Christians out there really just looking at issues in new ways, but, you know, based on the foundation that we have in the gospel. So it's always fun to see kind of see friends and it's almost like a reunion, but it was a good time. I got an opportunity to speak on the main stage about identity politics and did my best to give a a nuanced view of that, um, that really important conversation. So it was fun. It was a great talk, Justin. And it was uh, fun to hear from, Josh
2: Crossman talking about the great opportunity report the Pine Tops put together. Andy Crouch, our friend, talking about cyborgs. Uh, Gina Thomas talking about immigration. Our man Jason Folletta over at Micah Challenge talking about climate change. It was a great conference, and like you said, good to see so many friends. But but and camp, I, I got to tell you, the video from Justin's talk at Q isn't available yet. But his talk at the Trinity Forum is, and if you haven't seen it yet, and I'm I'm saying this as unbiased as I I could be, I was in the audience. Y'all need to watch the video of the Trinity Forum's event. It was around, I think as we said in our last episode, around Arthur Brooks's, uh, who's the president, uh, the outgoing president of the American Enterprise Institute. He has a book, Love Your Enemies. And the Trinity Forum asked Justin to be the respondent. And it was just, uh, it, it was a heck of an event packed house, uh, good audience participation, and a good exchange between you and Arthur. Uh, Justin, have you thought about that event too much since since it happened? Were you happy with it?
1: Yeah, I was very happy with it. Uh, Like you said, we got some good feedback. Arthur is a a brilliant guy, not someone that, you know, I agree with on everything, but certainly respect his intelligence and how thoughtful he is about certain issues uh, and saw it as a chance to kind of bring, you know, talk about some things that that more kind of center left, center right crowd might not have heard a point of view they might not have heard. And uh, I think it went over well.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, we have quite a bit to talk about in this week's episode since our our last episode, the Mueller Report, came out, and that has provoked a resurgence of conversation about impeachment. Speaker Pelosi has seemed to continue to urge patience and not seem overzealous. At least her public presentation has not been overzealous for impeachment, but you have the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, Jerry Nadler, who seems a little more uh, anxious about it. And then, of course, you have this this camp of 2020 candidates, who uh, many of them are urging impeachment. And that tension, if the Democratic Party isn't careful, is only going to grow in a way that could benefit the presidential candidates, but could bounce back on the House, the members of the House that will be up for re-election in 2020 as well, or the other way around. Uh, so, Justin, we have this impeachment talk. Uh, it seems like the 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 middle path, um, which is still you know really aggressive, is to do a series of investigations flowing from the Mueller report and uh, House committee hearings and see if those hearings. Uh, and the House investigations build pressure to a place where more of the House Democratic caucus is good with moving forward uh, with impeachment. There's currently a debate. Now the House wants Attorney General Barr to appear uh, before a House committee, and, and the Trump administration is pushing back there. Again, we haven't had conversation about the Mueller report yet. Uh, do Do you think the Democrats should, whether it's you know explicitly or through uh, you know a strategic plan, should they be aiming towards you know and um, uh, moving towards impeachment you know this summer, this fall, or uh, do you think that there's there's a uh, there's a, a smarter and more appropriate strategy and way that Democrats should be thinking about this?
1: Yeah, so really, all that—that's a good question. It really all comes down to whether you see the mother report as the beginning of something, or the end of something. Now, this was a, a long, much anticipated report, uh, and and when it was released, uh, you know, while the attorney general Barr like held it up for a bit, it revealed President Trump to be everything most people—I can't say most—everything a lot of people believed him to be. Right? It showed that Trump was sloppy. It showed that he was uh, uninformed, uh, negligent at times, and really acting like a corrupt leader who had something to hide. That's really uh, what a lot of people saw in, in that report. His actions verged on obstruction of justice and certainly were unbecoming of a president and might, it might even show that he's unfit to be president. And so I think people are right to be concerned about that and not to be lax when it comes to leaving someone like that in office. However, Mueller didn't find enough evidence, as you all know by now, to prove collusion and didn't make a finding when it comes to obstruction of justice. And I think that left a lot of folks, a lot of Democrats who were they hanging, who were hanging their hat on this report. It left them in a posture where they wanted to continue to pursue impeachment anyway. But i am be honest with you, to answer your question, I'm not sure I, I'm starting to think that that's a fool's errand um, after this very extensive report. I'm starting to see this report when it comes to those issues as an end of something rather than a beginning. And from from the numbers, from the polls that I've seen, the American people seem to think think the same thing. Not that he didn't lie, not that he you know, that he did everything right, but that they just don't want to go through this process. So a Washington Post and and ABC News poll showed that the majority of Republicans, independents and Democrats, uh, 53 percent of the people thought Mueller's report was fair and even handed. Uh, Only 37 percent of Americans favor starting the impeachment process. Fifty six percent of Americans oppose the idea. Uh, So you see a situation where, from what I can tell in my analysis, it seems that people are just exhausted of this back and forth. And it's not that they think he was, you know, that he should get off the hook or that, you know, he did the right thing. They just don't want to continue through this process, which really seems to be going nowhere. But it's all all it's it's red meat for, you know, the Democratic base. Uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, as you mentioned, doesn't seem to be in support of the idea, although she's getting a lot of pressure from the left left flank to move forward. Now, on social media, you hear the usual concerns from a lot of Democrats and folks on the left. You know, the Democrats aren't tough enough or ruthless as the Republicans. And that's why we always lose. Right. Republicans would have impeached a Democratic president long ago. But we're so nice. And that's why he's still in office. Yeah. Well, the first thing is the idea that the problem with either party is that they aren't tough enough on the other party <laughs> is just ridiculous right i yeah. mean any any person in a position to impeach any democrat in the position to impeach trump is going to go after that and be the hero right mm-hmm. so the idea that they are afraid or the, it's just ridiculous right next the idea that nancy pelosi is timid or afraid of donald trump <laughs> is just laughable yeah Uh, The idea that these people have a better strategy than her, she's in her position for a reason. Now, anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I don't agree with Nancy Pelosi on a lot of things, but I know she's not timid. I know she's not afraid. And she's a great strategist. Yeah. So to act like she doesn't know what she's doing or she just wants to save Trump or, you know, she's too kind (laughs) to to, to hold him (laughs) accountable is just ridiculous. And I would also mention Article one, you know, within Article one, you have. A section about impeachment and removal and this is what it says if a federal official commits a crime or otherwise acts improperly the house of representatives may impeach meaning formally charge that official if the official subsequently is convicted in a senate impeachment trial he is removed from office so i say that to say keep in mind that he would have to that they'd have to get a two-thirds vote in the senate which presently is controlled by the republicans to make this happen right uh so it's something to think about these things don't just they come with they come with at the expense of political capital if it doesn't go down the way you want it to if nancy pelosi is looking just at the numbers then she has good reason to be hesitant about this and so at the end of the day to answer your question in short i feel like if you want to get trump out you're gonna to have to get him out in 2020 yeah. Uh, the mother report came out. It wasn't quite enough. And we can have we can go through this over and over again. But the American people are getting tired. And I think it hurts the Democrats case when they could be talking about other things and really focus on getting him out in 2020.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's so this is one of those things where, you know, the, the last argument I read sounds like the. Uh, or here sounds like the the best one. So I'm nodding my head with you. Everything you've said sounds right. And then I'll read something pro impeachment person saying, you know, this is what the impeachment process is here for. If if it's not utilized now, and these are people who view the Mueller report as basically, you know, putting the the ball on the tee for for the House. So if the House doesn't act to follow this obstruction of justice. Thread Through the impeachment process, which, which is to investigate, which is an investigative process, then not only does it amount to an abneg- abnegation of duty in the present, but sets up Congress for being unable to take on this process and its duties down the road. And then I you know, I read an argument like that and I'm like, you know, that that sounds right. What shouldn't everyone have to t- have to take a, a vote on this? Uh it's a confounding issue for me. You know, should the House only take up an impeachment process when it knows it has the votes in the Senate to, to move it forward? Or should the House do it, see what happens there, and put the burden on the Senate, put the burden on Ben Sass and Mitt Romney and and James Lankford and and the Republicans up for re-election Cory Gardner to put their name to a vote on this president. And then just just as I say that I say well then this all seems like a political sham this all, right. <laughs> this all little... seems like a like a whole waste of taxpayers dollars waste of our emotional energy when we could be focused on As you said, Justin, just moving beyond this president through electoral means. So it's like a never ending back and forth. But but
1: that's my thing. If this if this if you didn't have the that's my thing, though, if you didn't have the Mueller report, if if it hadn't taken so long, now I would say go for it. But people are exhausted and it can't just be a political calculation at this point when there's so many things that we have to talk about. If 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 Trump is going to go, it's most likely he's going to go in 2020 it's a give and take here. So if you keep pursuing the same, uh, if you keep going down the same road and you don't get there, then you have definitely lost political capital. and something that Democrats have to think about and people just want the focus on other issues i think i think they've come to terms with the fact that he's the president right now and that he will be the president until 2020 or, or beyond if people vote him in <laughs> and that to me at this point after the Mueller report on all and how that's just sucked the air out of everything yeah um that to me is the best way to go but i'm not mad if they decide to go otherwise i, I do think pelosi knows what she's doing and we'll see yeah. if the pressure gets to her or not
2: Justin, do you think it's smart to be moving forward with a committee hearing strategy? Do you do you think you know, so during you know, some of the twenty twenty candidates I'm thinking primarily of of Buddha judge has been saying, like, look, the the House is gonna move forward with investigations and they should keep, you know, the president's conduct near the forefront of their business. But the twenty twenty candidates we're gonna be talking about uh policy and the future of the country. Do you think that's a good good balance? Do you think it's okay if, if the House, you know, if much of the next 18 months is consumed with calling Rosenstein to Capitol Hill, calling A.G. Barr, calling Don McGahn to, to hearings? Or do you think that even that could be a, a use of political capital that's that's unwise?
1: I'd be more okay with it. Again, this is all after Mueller, right? So if this was before Mueller or something like that, it would make sense. But right. just as you said, being consumed by it, Yeah, Yeah. that's great that the presidential candidates may be talking about something else, but there's business that that needs to go on. And not a lot of business goes on during that time anyway. But I think people are just tired of being consumed. And again, you see even uh, Democrats said, hey, what Mueller did was fair. It was even handed. Um, A lot of people are just tired of it and they, you know, they want to focus on other things and the the time to get them. I think it's 2020 if that's indeed what you want to do. So I'm not mad if that's what happens I just don't think it's it's all is as constructive as we think it is, and I don't think you get much more than you already have in that Mueller report, which was pretty damning.
2: Yeah, I guess just the last thing I'll say, Justin, is part of the problem here. Uh, part of the pro- this whole time, and by the way, I, I recommend to folks um, that you read Matt Taibbi's piece in the Rolling Stone about just just how the, the media's failure when it comes to Russia Gate in particular. Um, and, and playing up collusion. Uh, but part of the problem with pursuing uh, impeachment, part of the problem with trying to prove Trump's criminality, part of the problem with the Mueller report itself is that if there's not that definitive, you know, Trump is guilty kind of finding, then it, it appears to many voters that Trump is is cleared <laughs> like he like he's okay all right they they threw everything they had at him they couldn't get him that that must mean that he he's not done anything wrong but Trump has done wrong things he's pursued bad policies in many areas and he's certainly done a lot of harm to our political culture but like you said justin that's not something that gets solved through the impeachment process that's something that gets solved at the ballot box
1: yeah there's plenty of and 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 that's the thing there's plenty of other things to point out that he should have done better during this first term right plenty of things to talk about but if you put everything into this impeachment if it doesn't happen now it's like oh you lost everything, right? Yeah. Because you're making this the the number one measure of whether he should be back in again, and if he doesn't get hit, which I I don't, I mean, I really just don't see it happening at this yeah. time. Then you hurt yourself. Yeah. And absolutely. so I, yeah, I'm I'm not thinking that's the best way to go, but we'll find out, folks. You know, folks who are on the Democratic side of it. should think twice about going against Nancy on this one because she knows what she's doing and she wants him out just as bad as you do. I'm sure. Uh, Something that I heard uh, somebody, I think it was Ross Douthat uh, bring up was that, you know, center right Republicans might do themselves well to actually (laughs) impeach Trump and and, and end up with Pence. Right. That, That might not actually be such a bad thing. Of course, they have to deal with their base. But he was just saying, hey, if you're really thinking about it, that might not be a bad way to go for your center right uh, guys out there i don't see that happening but it's an interesting thought yeah
2: all right folks when we get back we're going to talk about franklin graham and his recent comments that had him you know trending on tweet uh, on twitter and uh all all these articles uh getting posted about franklin graham's latest political utterance and then a new policy proposal from Uh, One of our favorite senders here on the podcast and the 2020 presidential candidate. Uh, All that and more when we get back. This is the Church Politics Podcast.
0: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...
2: We're back here uh, on the Church Politics Podcast. And and Justin, I saw Franklin Graham trending and my uh, uh, hand trembled as I clicked to see what it was all about. Uh, He was commenting on Democrat Pete Buttigieg, who is, according to many accounts, in the top tier of the Democrats' uh, 2020 race. As uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Judge would be the first uh, openly gay president in American history. And he has been talking a lot about faith lately. He's an Episcopalian. And he said recently in an event that uh, God doesn't have a political party. Now, just a brief aside, which is to say that um, this is something of a turn for Buddha Judge, who mm-hmm. had been or criticized by myself, by a, a lot, a lot of others, for seeming to suggest, in you know, what is a overreaction and kind of a, a mirroring of the religious right. That sort of he said something along the lines of, you know, scripture leads in a in a progressive direction. That, that when I read scripture, I, I see that you know it's it's politically progressive. And so there's there's a lot to lot to talk about. There, but he sort of turned around and said, "Do you know what? I don't think I don't think uh, Christianity has to be all about Democrats." But uh, he said, "God doesn't have a political party." Well, Franklin Graham took to Twitter, which you know is the place all preachers should be, you know, taking their their um, their comments to,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> of course, and and he tweeted that Buddha Judge was right, but God does have commandments, laws, and standards. Mayor Buttigieg Judge says he's a gay Christian. As a Christian, I believe the Bible, which defines homosexuality as sin, something to be repentant of, not something to be flaunted, praised, or politicized. Uh, he continued, the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman, not two men and two not not two women. A couple things. One, you know, the obvious thing to say, or at least one of the obvious things to say is that, you know, Franklin Graham has found all kinds of ways to justify and rationalize uh, the personal conduct of Donald Trump over the last three years. And so that is where what many people thought of. It's what I thought of. When I saw this tweet, I, I was kind of like, not, not only did I uh, think the, the language and the form was not appropriate, I also thought, in what world does Franklin Graham think that he still has moral credibility to speak to this now, he may have political credibility. a whole lot of people are willing to turn a blind eye to Trump and are happy to to see Democrats condemned in this way uh but but i i, I don't think he's he has the the moral credibility you know just the 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 second thing i i'm not sure th- this is uh Changing any (laughs) minds, you know, like this is for Franklin Graham to take to Twitter. It's almost like a you know tribal theology. Like like Franklin Graham isn't looking to change anybody's mind. He's not looking to. uh, I mean, I'll just you know say it. He's not looking to share the gospel with this tweet. He's looking to throw bombs. And so, Justin, this this flared up uh, over the last few days. What do you think? It, It does expose a lot. I guess the last thing I'd say is you know part of why it was jarring is because the the conversation on lgbt issues has just changed and transformed so much over the last three five years you know five years ago franklin graham says this and it would have been more like a oh like that's what that that's what people like franklin graham believe uh, it was definitely a different kind of reaction this time around what, what did you think justin
1: Yeah, the first thing came to mind was something you you touched on, which was the messenger here just really sounds hypocritical. Um, He's defended Trump's faith, gone out of his ways to talk about how great of a Christian Trump was. Uh, He's excused all of Trump's indiscretions uh, as not being relevant uh, to his office or even making Trump more qualified, comparing him to biblical uh, figures. Um, And then he tries to call someone else out while having no relationship with this person as you pointed out not trying to uh really evangelize or you know bring the gospel into the conversation in the right way really just being very political with it uh and scoring political points which i don't think he scored any but that i'll get to that later um in this context his 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 comments just weren't constructive weren't helpful to the conversation, and. I think he'd do us all. Uh, he'd be helpful for us all to kind of keep those comments to himself. He has every right to to say them, but they're not helpful uh, in in what's going on today. Um, thankfully, though, and you know this just as well as I do, uh, Michael, there are a lot of Christians that are thinking about thinking more deeply and talking more articulately, to, articulately about this subject than Franklin Graham seems to be. Now, that certainly doesn't right. mean that they are affirming. Um, that's not what I'm saying at all. And in many cases, I've found that not every affirming position is all that thoughtful. Sometimes it's just a, the path of least resistance that's somewhat been rationalized. And I know that for a lot of people, it's a very it's it's an issue that hits home and it should because it's a tough issue and we don't have to act like it's an easy issue. But I'm not at all saying that the thoughtful response is the affirming response. I think there are folks being who are very thoughtful that are not affirming. Um, So I'm talking about people who want a biblical, a thoughtful biblical response, people who are looking for ways to affirm the dignity of our LGBT neighbors without losing uh, or without denying uh, the biblical value side of the conversation, uh, which which is not always easy, especially with what we see coming from, uh, you know, um, pop culture. But I think it's incumbent on all of us, especially if you consider yourself a public figure, and influencer, to be applying the compassion and conviction of the gospel to this issue um, because people need to hear it framed in a more biblical way. So if you're somebody who's struggling with finding a compassionate biblical response to LGBT issues, I would recommend looking up two people. Uh, One is Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, She just came out with a book. uh, I think it's gay girl, good God, where she talks about how God has brought her through her struggles with same sex attraction. Uh, and is very articulate and compassionate in that conversation. Someone else is Preston Sprinkle, and he has a, a Theology in Raw podcast who, again, will will go straight to the Bible for the answers on this and be very compassionate about how he talks about those issues. Because for Christians, for us just to go and follow behind pop culture on on this issue or to follow Franklin, Franklin Graham with, you know, those kind of comments that aren't, you know, within context that aren't helpful at all isn't sufficient. And so we need to look a little harder and think a little harder on that issue. I digress a little bit, but I thought that was important to say. All that to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I- I'll say this. So I-, I thought Frank and Graham, I think that was very hypocritical based on how he treats Trump and, and kind of the excuses he makes for Trump. Uh, and also what he what he condones when it comes to Trump. But I, what I won't pretend is that this hurts uh, Buttigieg at all. Right. It's it's actually a, a great gift. I think any political yeah. strategist that's helping Buttigieg out <laughs> loves this and wants him to keep talking about this issue. So I don't necessarily buy the woe is me or any of that. Uh, this is this is what you want to happen. In in our divided political political landscape, nothing endears you to your base more than criticism from characters on the other side. Right. Not to mention that this keeps his name in the press while the 20 other or so uh, candidates struggle to get attention. And I wonder because you hit on this a little bit, too. But I wonder if Graham understands that he's actually raising Buttigieg's uh, profile with these comments. Like, do you understand this is actually helpful to him? It's just like the people that attack a uh, AOC. She wants to like that's what you want. You want somebody, especially when the comment is terrible and and hypocritical. Right. Um It's actually helping them. So I don't know, folks, I can almost guarantee that he didn't lose one supporter from that comment. In fact, he probably gained supporters or more people heard about who he was based on those comments.
2: Yeah. I mean, Buttigieg was having a little bit of trouble. He overplayed his hand with with a, a certain portion of the electorate. Going after Pence on this stuff, a, a lot of people thought he had been uncharacteristically personal with with Mike Pence when there was a public record of him and Pence actually getting along pretty well. When and Pence this is what was he governor. was trying to do,
1: right? Pick a fight it, with someone it, that it would make did. him, you know, would get this result. So this, and
2: yeah. so just as this is going on, and and Buttigieg is kind of you know tarnishing a bit his. You know, his bipartisan credentials, the fact that he's an optimistic guy, sunny, baby face, whatever. <laughs> you know, Franklin Graham comes in to accentuate, you know. Just how nice Booty judge is, and how awful the opposition is, and so yeah, it was just of all the things you know. There's a lot to say about Franklin Graham's tweet, the hypocrisy, etc. It's it's bad politics.
1: It's, it's <laughs> just, bad politics. Yeah, just
2: just like and remember, Franklin Graham had had been before 2018 had been going around California raising all this money and doing all these events for republicans to to stem a blue wave in california and of course that failed dramatically as well with democrats picking up like more than half a dozen seats in california so maybe like franklin needs to i don't know slow his roll with the politics for a bit and focus on uh, Samaritan's Purse, which does amazing, incredible work and some of his more evangelistic efforts and, and leave the politics to people who don't uh, consistently uh, screw it up like he does.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, you know, An campaign, we talk a lot about the witness. So for Christians, when you come into the public square, when you engage in civics and politics, what does your witness look like? What are people seeing in you and how are you working to help people? When you make comments like this after, you know, going along with everything that Trump has done, your witness is awful. And you're hurting the witness of the church. And what I see is a lot of people on the on the left love these comments. They love to argue against and both sides love this. Right. So they love to argue against the worst argument, the most inarticulate and harsh argument that they can because it makes it look silly. And so everybody who may have a, in a An opinion that's even close to that, it makes them look silly just by association. So this is never helpful. And Christians need to be more articulate and more compassionate in how they talk about these things. Now, there are several other reasons, in my opinion, uh, legitimate reasons to criticize Buttigieg. Many are still wondering and I'm wondering how a small city mayor with a questionable record, the more I read about it in that city, gets even a shot at a presidency. You know, some mm-hmm. of my friends in my circle are saying, What, well, if this isn't privilege, I don't know what it is, because how yeah. do you get a shot at the presidency and you're a small you're a small city mayor right. whose record I still ain't heard anything just super positive about the record. You see somebody who seems to be somewhat of a technocrat that has that technocrat blind spot when it comes to poor people and, and really how to better their lives. He's gonna have to explain that. I yeah. haven't heard just a whole lot of policy uh a straightforward policy from him either so That's i'm waiting up. to hear those things we can have that kind of criticism we can have those conversations but what you're hearing from franklin graham time is out for that from, from christians we need to we need to do a little better in that regard and i am happy to push back on anyone who who brings that kind of conversation especially in light of how he treats uh trump yeah absolutely
2: Booty judge you know we're gonna see if if he's building a movement or if this is you know, a flash in the pan kind of thing, but he's sustained it now for almost a month. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I'd recommend to folks Ben Smith over at BuzzFeed wrote an article over the last few days about how he's seen uh, Ben Smith is a longtime political journalist. uh, and, And he wrote about how he's seen the rhythm of presidential primaries change to a point where now it's no longer media narratives driving the primary and sort of flash in the pan moments, uh, but instead it's candidates who are able to establish a brand and a loyal following. And so what Judge is, is an interesting test case. Bernie Sanders is clearly a movement guy. It's gonna be interesting to see if Booty Judge uh, you know, is a flash in the pan, and Ben Smith may have to adjust his his thesis. Uh or if you know he's building a, a loyal following, uh, folks. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, a last segment. We're going to cover new legislation on retirement security. This is the Church Politics Podcast.
1: Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate.
0: Hi. So about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance.
1: The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.
0: Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Let's talk credit card debt for a minute. If you feel you're carrying too much of it, you're not alone. The average household in the U.S. carries over $8,000 in credit card debt. Ready for some good news? With a cash out refinance from Quicken Loans, you can quickly and easily put some of the equity in your home to good use by paying off a lot of that high interest credit card debt. A great way to take cash out is with our 30-year fixed rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed mortgage is 4.375%, APR 4.65%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN to learn how taking cash out with a 30-year fixed mortgage might be the right solution for you. And for a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com.
1: For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rates subject to change. Pay 2.13% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.
2: All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And Justin, we we were talking last week about this uh, article from Senator Chris Coons, a former guest of the podcast, and Senator Amy Klobuchar about new legislation they've proposed for retirement savings accounts. Uh, In this op-ed, a CNN op-ed, the the headline is, Most Americans Can't Save for Retirement. We Want to Fix That. They share that many families are finding it difficult to to save. Uh, Among families in the bottom half of the income scale, they write only about 40%. Hold any kind of a retirement plan. And obviously, as they continue, that's a crisis waiting to happen. And so they've put forward legislation called the Saving for the Future Act, which would guarantee that if you're working full time, in addition to your pay and in addition to Social Security, you would receive a savings contribution of at least 50 cents per hour work, which amounts to about $1,000 per year. Uh, and the amount would rise the longer you worked and keep pace with with wage growth. They suggest, according to an analysis of their bill from Third Way, which is a a, a centrist Democratic think tank, if a worker uh, stuck with their own automatic contributions to their retirement plan, uh, their savings over the course of a career. Would grow to more than six hundred thousand dollars by retirement with this legislation you know, i I think a couple of things we we wanted to lift this up because uh especially as we get deeper into the presidential. A campaign season, new ideas uh, may not always be coming unless you know you're Elizabeth Warren, who has a new idea you know every few days. But but we want to keep a spotlight on policy ideas, whether they're coming from the left or the right, that aim to improve people's lives and address big challenges facing the country. And this certainly fits in that you know second. Uh, you know, it's it's not Social Security. It's on top of Social Security. It's it's almost like an additional, you know, government contribution in addition to an employer contribution and an employee contribution, uh, under the idea that the government's going to have to pay for it at some point. You know, if if we have this burgeoning class of folks who have uh, no savings for justifiable reasons or, or or at least understandable reasons. Uh, that's a burden we're going to carry as a society, regardless. And so, uh, I'd urge folks to check out this bill. But, but Justin, as as you saw, just you know, both from a policy perspective, and then you know, S- Senator Coons is someone we've talked quite a bit about. Uh, Amy Klobuchar as well. What do, what do you think of these two senators teaming up on on legislation like this?
1: I love seeing them team up. I love seeing thoughtful policy. Now, as you as you guys probably know already, when we bring up policy, it's not necessary that we endorse it. I, You know, I need more time with this particular policy before I could do something like that. But what me and Michael are committed to doing is highlighting people who are being thoughtful about policy, uh, especially folks who are in this next presidential election. You know, while folks, some folks are talking about legalizing prostitution and all this marijuana stuff. I'm glad that Klobuchar and Coons are coming with pro- coming up with policy that will probably uh, get less attention on Twitter, but is substantive. And so we want to highlight that substantive policy because we want to incentivize folks putting that policy out. So you won't hear as much about the Twitter policy that we may, uh, that you may see all over social media. We want to point you to stuff that is substantive and not just folks, not just folks reacting to the latest trends. So this is important. And you know, with the end campaign, we always want to talk about how we can help people in lower socioeconomic positions. That's very important to us. So this saving Uh, Saving for the Future Act is is crucial to look at how we can help, how you can put people in a position where they can save, because if you think for a moment that there aren't people who work their tail off one and two jobs, three jobs and still can't save, then you're wrong. You need to know more Americans in different positions. There are people who work extremely hard and still can't get to a place where they can save four hundred dollars for emergency expenses. Four out of 10 Americans cannot do that. That's not okay, especially if they're working very hard. So we do need to talk about training. We need to talk about upward mobility. But those are things that we have to be thinking through. And don't let your party or your your ideology of choice keep you from thinking very thoughtfully about what's going on and how we can be hopeful. And this is what Coons and Klobuchar have done. I want to look this over. But again, we would we would ask that everyone, even, even if it's just an article or two, read about the saving for the future act. These are the kind of policies that our presidential candidates should be putting out, that we should be responding to, that we should be uh, analyzing to see if it is what we need. This is something that should be considered, whether this is exactly the way that it should uh that it should happen, you know, with these increases. So, you know, the tax increase for the wealthiest households would be from, I think, 37% to 30, just over 39%. There's a lot of things that go into this, and this would go on top of Social Security. And people are saying there's issues with Social Security already, and that it's not sustainable. We have to talk about all that. But this is the sort of policy we should be paying attention to. And and really, some of that other stuff we, we should pretty much ignore.
2: Justin, on that note, as we move to the end of the episode, uh, you know, one thing I'd love to lift up to, to go to the Republican side of the aisle is Senator Mike Lee has been lifting up this report called Losing Our Minds Brain Drain Across the United States. That is pretty substantial report that tracks shifts in residency from rural areas to urban areas, really to some main metropolitan areas, in a way that has left rural and sort of middle America in a place where uh, they lack political power, they lack intellectual capital, that uh, they they uh, lack investment that can help them. Uh, move forward and get things like internet access and and job opportunities. I mean, so I found I, I've been reading through this report over the last few days. I think it's really important to uh, for folks to understand. I also think it's important. So often when people hear you know r- rural issues, um, they're they're thinking of uh they're they're thinking of like. You know, older white people. It's important to understand that rural America is about much more than that. When when we're talking about rural areas being left behind, it's it's not just sort of uh, it, it's it's uh, it's Latino uh, uh, agricultural workers. It's uh, it's black folks that haven't uh, th- that are in. Uh, forgotten areas uh, like Apple, uh, not just Appalachia, but Mississippi, Alabama, sort of the the forgotten South. And so, I think this report has some of the political conclusions folks won't agree with, but what it does track is this really generationally defining change that our politics needs to address from multiple angles and the report does not just quote sort of heritage foundation folks but but actually does a pretty good job of pulling together all kinds of information including from bill bishop's book the big sort pulling from the work of uh uh larry summers and so i would urge folks to to check this out
1: yeah check it out it's it's, it's definitely worth worth the read something that you said just very quickly that stuck out to me was uh the the conversation about race and class. Right. Uh, Right. A lot of times what I found is that people who just want to focus on race, which is very important, they don't want to talk at all about class because it takes away from that clean narrative. And folks who who focus on class don't always want to talk about race because it takes away from their clean narrative. We have to find a way to seek the truth and talk about both with with nuance. Uh, If you haven't read uh, Hillbilly Elegy, uh, that's something that you should read. Uh, it's, it speaks to some of the things that, that, that report is talking about. And so just familiarize yourself with both sides. Again, I've always said that it's not about you having the most clean narrative. It's about getting to the truth and and doing it in a way where you can be thoughtful about solution.
2: Yeah, just, I I think it's important. Uh, I guess just before we wrap up this episode, man, you catch the golden state warriors rockets game uh, last night. It was game one and it felt like, I don't know. It felt like, uh, I thought I was catching the uh, third episode of Game of Thrones a bit early. I mean, it was it was tense, man.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a great series. You have some really good players, and nobody is trying to go home. So to see these two match up, what is this, second round, and, and really have to go at it? I got I got Golden State in, I got Golden State maybe in, in six. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll see we'll see how that goes. But this is going to be an an epic uh, back and forth. We'll just see who gets the bet the best of it.
2: Okay, is there any way that Draymond gets out of this series without a technical?
1: I think it's only right for him to have a technical or two. I mean, if he, if he does, that's unfortunate, yeah. and that might be that might uh, cause them to lose, right? Like <laughs> Draymond has to get a technical. That's that's how, that's what he does, right? That's how he supports right. the team.
2: Yeah, he's slacking unless he's picking yeah, up. Yeah, he got to get uh, that. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited to watch this series. And then I was a little stunned to see the Bucks lose by I think like twenty two. Yeah uh, to to the Celtics. So it's going to be interesting. You know, still a pretty young team. It's going to be interesting to see if they have the fortitude to fight back against Kyrie and the Celtics. They're I, I think the Bucks are one of the most exciting teams to watch. But but man, they got they got hammered in game one.
1: They got hammered, but they'll have a chance to come back and, and show what they got. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah.
2: All right, folks. Well, hey, that's all we have for this episode. We're always excited to be able to share with you. We took uh, a one-week break for Easter. We're back. Uh, and we're looking forward to future episodes. Again, would urge you to leave a review on iTunes. If you could, let folks know that you enjoy listening to the podcast, and then just let us know how you feel uh, on Twitter at Crux and Call as this is a Crux and the Call production. All right folks uh thank you. Uh have a good week. Bless. This is the church
0: politics podcast. Yeah I'll take care. I'm the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, You'll do it right to grow the best garden you can. Lowe's does it right too with savings on Miracle Grow potting mixed with fertilizer to help you get growing. And grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants. Pick up a 50 quart bag now for just $10. Plus, get Bonnie 2.32 quart vegetables and herbs, three for $10. For a garden that's worthy of showing off, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 6 5 while supplies last US only, excludes Alaska and Hawaii. The Home Depot is making it easy to turn your favorite moment into the perfect color for any room with the Project Color app. Upload any image, then discover the colors and paint to match. Now you're a swipe and a click closer to everything you need for your next project. Explore the most popular colors and trending palettes to find your perfect paint. Get a colorful new experience with the Project Color app, then shop our best brands with gallons starting from just $25.97 at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only See store for details.